you know you're going to pay millions of dollars to launch your first biopharmaceutical. But how much? How much does it cost? Spend too little? You'll never get off the runway. Spend too much and you'll stall the aircraft. I'm Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. Today on the Cineos Health Podcast, I'm joined again by Sachin Perwar. Sachin's article, To Spend or Not to Spend, Investing for Launch Success as an Emerging Company, appeared in the May 2018 issue of InVivo. Sachin's article is on a study he conducted recently of 19 emerging biopharma companies. Sachin was able to see what successful companies spend and what unsuccessful companies did not. Spending for success next on the Cineos Health Podcast. Sachin Perwar, welcome back to the Cineos Health Podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Great to be here. It's great to have you back. I think when we last met in person, we were in Boston at Bio, working with a lot of smaller companies, some medium-sized companies, some larger companies, a lot of companies that had CEOs where they were looking to launch products in the near future. I think one of the things that we often run into with newer CEOs is how much are they going to be spending on their launch? I mean, they're spending all their time on clinical trials. They don't think necessarily about the future as much as they're thinking about the next 10 minutes. Absolutely. And we see that quite often in the clients that we work with. That's always a big question. Launch is a relatively large investment that you have to make, but you know, there's other priorities. So there's always that balance on do we spend the money, you know, prior to launch or do we just kind of continue what we're doing with our trials and hoping the data that speaks for itself. So it does become a very important issue for them. And it's not obvious what you're going to spend. I think that we, I don't want to overcategorize, but if we look at a lot of the CEOs we have worked with in the past or CEOs that are looking and they haven't really launched a drug yet, they are looking to make sure that they can tell investors that they need only X to get to something like revenue and probably a license. But then they end up, because this does happen, you end up late in phase three and you don't have a partner and you need to self-commercialize and haven't really thought through it. So how much does it cost is a big question. Is that a driver for what you see as a big driver for trying to figure out what the heck people actually spend and how much they need to spend to do it right? Absolutely. And it was a question that that keeps coming up. I don't think it's ever been analyzed in this manner. And we're really trying to put a number behind it. And at least here's the range that you should spend. And that's why we pulled together this analysis. And we really just stuck to companies that have their first launch, because I think that's the only way that you can kind of standardize across the data that we actually have available to us. So one thing that, you know, we always have to think about in launch is, is why spend money in launch, right? I mean, what, what are they actually spending the money on? And why it becomes important is because even if you have a product that has good data, I mean, and you go to market, I mean, bottom line is people aren't going to know about it. So it's almost like anything that you have in, say, the consumer world, right? I mean, you have to have put some marketing money behind it. And for launches, especially, it's, you know, when you start out, you have to hit the ground running. So prior to launch, there's a lot of market prep that can be done as long as it's within the FDA guidelines, a lot of therapeutic area disease and disease education, right? A lot of KOL, key opinion leader relationship building that has to be done as well. So it's not like it's just a, you know, you have a great product or you get approval from the FDA and you just kind of go to market. There's a lot of background activities that are involved into making sure that you are set up for success. Other things that you could do is advisory boards, going to big conventions. And we were just at bio, but they're in oncology. There's, you know, ASH and there's ASCO. So you have to be involved with that. And that all takes money. And you may not even have your data out yet, but the bottom line is you still have to invest heavily in these sort of activities to make sure that people are aware that you are coming out, that you have something that could be different in the market. So then when you do launch, you're already kind of running and people are, the awareness is already built up in the market. 
when we're thinking about pre-launch activities, so people are generally already still in clinical trials, they may be just have started phase three. So we're talking a few years before launch. We're talking about getting the word out not to patients necessarily, though maybe, but we're talking about getting the word out to whom exactly? Mostly the physician communities. You want your key opinion leaders or any thought leader in the space that you're targeting to be on board. They're the ones that are going to create the excitement. They're the ones that are speaking dozens of times a year and people listen. So if you can get those guys on board, excited about your data, and almost think of them as partners in a sense, that's really what's going to help drive uh, success at launch. But all of these activities do require funding. And a lot of times, oftentimes, CEOs don't know exactly how much to spend in this. And they could be thinking they're spending a lot, but they're completely underspending or they're spending way too much more than they need to, which is rarely the case, but it does happen. I think the old rule of thumb that we used a lot of times was maybe two years before launch, you'd look at what your peak revenue is. So this is a very different way of thinking from what you looked at in your analysis. You think of peak revenue and you say, I'm going to spend maybe 5% of that peak revenue a year or so, two years before launch. You spend about 10% of the peak revenue in most of the years. And you see that actually fairly consistently with people that get their forecasts right and they don't have a surprise up or down. They spend about 10% of peak year revenues for most years, but then you spend maybe 15% in the actual launch year. Those are very rough numbers. Those are numbers that have been around for a while. I mean, I've seen those numbers or use those numbers in print maybe for 20 years. The analysis that you did is different. Tell me what the analysis that you did helps maybe inform if you're a CEO, how much you really are going to be spending if you want to do it right. Yeah. Just to clarify, this is for first company launches, because when you have big companies that are in their third four launches, you can't just isolate the SG&A spend. That information is not available. When we did this analysis, we thought about what the best approach might be. And you're right in the sense that historically, they've taken a look at peak revenues, but it takes many years to hit your peak revenue to take 10 years. So if we start looking at historical data, I mean, you're talking about products that have launched, you know, a dozen years ago and the spend that they had at launch could be irrelevant at this point. So we decided to go a different route where we can take a look at new companies that launched from 2005 to 2015. And basically what they had projected at the year prior to launch, as far as their revenue, were they able to hit any of those targets within their first four years? And if so, we consider them a success, right? Because they're able to hit their forecast numbers in their first four years. Maybe they're just more realistic than others about their forecast. <laughs> but you would have to think that your spend is, is relative to what your forecast is as well. So if you're realistic about it and you're spending an X amount, then you're in good shape, right? But if you're unrealistic about your forecast or if you think your forecast is aggressive, then you should probably spend proportionally to that. Um, and that's what we're trying to uncover, right? So taking a look at the companies and what that range looks like with not only just your absolute spend, but as a spend of a percentage of their forecast. And the analysis was, was really interesting because we know that companies are all over the board with respect to spend, but there is a sweet spot for spend where we did see that most companies were successful. And that's in the 75% to 250% of their first year forecast is revenue. But what's more interesting is that at less than 75%, so basically companies that underspent were 0% chance of success. Let's just back up there for a second. So we're looking at the first year revenue, what the company thinks that their first year revenue is going to be the first 12 months after launch, not the first calendar year, but first year revenue. And then how much of that 
did they put into SGNA this uh, selling uh, general administrative expenses uh, a line item within anybody's annual report, for example, so we can track that. And that's what we did. By I say we, I mean you. That's what you did <laughs> to be able to to compare to see did they spend a lot? Maybe didn't want to spend all the money they got in revenue. If I'm thinking right, they spent basically all of their profits if they hit their forecast. You think of most COGS, uh, cost of goods sold as being in the 25% range for small molecules, a little bit lower for biologics because biologics are more expensive and so have lower COGS. It sounds like they're spending every incremental dollar on SGNA. Multiple. I mean, at least 150% to 250% range, you know, we saw a 100% chance of success. At least it was just an N of two, but it just goes to show you that the investment is more significant than most people probably think. So when you're looking at your first year forecast, you, like you said, you're, you're spending all of it and some. So it, it is an investment, but you have to be committed to making that investment, not only in the year prior to launch and that's launch year, but moving up to about three years prior to launch, you have to make that commitment to go in and spend. I think that's a kind of a sobering thought for someone that's thinking, if I just make it to the finish line, then everything's going to be fine. But you have to have a lot of gas in the tank to be able to push through the launch year, really. It's going to be a big spend in launch year. It's probably easier capital to raise at that point, even if you weren't able to raise it before then, because you're coming in with a launch plan and it's a different set of investors. But you can't expect to bootstrap it. Even if we said every dollar goes into profits and you just did it on that basis, every profitable dollar is into the SGNA expense. That's not going to work so well because you're going to be waiting until the end of the launch year when you finally get a little bit more revenues because you're not going to get much in the first couple of months. Yeah. The question is, I mean, yes, it's a lot of money, but the flip side of it is really those companies, and we had eight out of the 19 companies that spent less than 75% on SGNA of their launch forecast, and not one of them were able to hit their forecast numbers. So you could say it's a lot of money, but ultimately, if you're not hitting your forecast, that's going to cost you a lot more in the long term especially if you look at the trajectory that that brings, because you're going to have to reassess and you're never going to hit your peak at that point. So we talked about marketing as being kind of part of this and marketing is a big part of this. There's also, you tend to hire about half your sales force, maybe the six months before launch so you can train them. You also have what you think of as normal SGNA in any other company. You have a CEO, et cetera, people that are paid to keep the doors open. So it's not purely marketing, it's other things too. I'm expecting that annual reports have no such breakdown <laughs> that tells you where these things actually go. Yeah, you're correct. They, they don't have the breakdown, but yes, you're right that they ramp up their sales force or MSL force probably in the year prior to launch. But what we assess is that you still have to spend three years prior to launch. So there is significant spend. It doesn't ramp up you know, as you get closer to launch, but there still is quite a bit of spend three years prior. And like I said before, it's a lot of it as, as on your non-promotional activities, making sure that you're building those relationships with advocacy groups, with KOLs, and especially if it's a new therapeutic area, the education around the disease state. We don't have the breakdown of SGNA expense. Are you seeing it being large enough that it could be that marketing activity three years before launch? I have to admit, I've had a fair number of either people that came to us for investment or, or deals or companies that we worked with potentially as clients that really didn't spend there. They, they put every dollar into clinical. And so if they had an SGNA expense line, it wouldn't have been marketing. It wouldn't have been an MSL force. Not three years before launch, probably not much in terms of payer marketing or physician marketing. KOL work though, medical fairs. Is that what you're thinking? If we look at the mean SGNA at, at three years prior to launch, it's about 20 million. You're right. CEO salaries are included in that. So it's not a, a big chunk, but you are at, at least out there starting the legwork. 
and that gets bumped up to about 27 million in two years prior, and then 44 million in the year prior to launch. So the 44 million, that's where you get the big bump, and that's where they're also bringing the sales force. So the numbers do make sense, but what you have oftentimes is the ones that don't spend are really not putting any effort into creating the market or at least the, the educational piece. And you could have many variables that are driving that, right? You have, could have just a risk-averse CEO. You could have companies that are waiting on particular milestones, such as phase three data readout. And they just don't want to put the money because if something goes wrong, they don't want to end up having to eat those dollars that they just spent. There's multiple factors on why CEOs would hold off on spending, but ultimately what we're saying is you still have to spend because ultimately, even if you get a product launched, but you're not in your forecast, then in hindsight, no one's going to say, oh, I wish you had spent more. They're never going to blame you for spending too much. Let's just say that. Well, as long as you hit the forecast, I have to admit it, I don't think it's ever been one of my clients, but we can think of other people in the industry who have spent far too much just because the forecast was totally wrong, where somebody had a multi-billion dollar forecast and they made $21 million in sales. That's a, actually, I think, a, an example that's Googleable. <laughs> so yeah, any thoughts on potentially overspending other than you can't overspend? You definitely can overspend because as part of our analysis, I mean, we took into account for the 19 companies, everyone who hit their numbers and everyone that didn't. And I think it was just two companies that spent more than 250% of their year one forecasted number and actually fail to meet their forecast. So now you're talking about the overspending part, but you know, there's, there's multiple factors that could come into play because you can have a product that is, you know, maybe a primary care focus for something that requires, you know, a lot more reach and frequency. So maybe their sales forces are abnormally large, right? But maybe their data just isn't as competitive enough. So they still have to ramp up just to make sure they get their message out, but then maybe they're just undifferentiated product. So they're kind of between a rock and a hard place because they're not going to be successful if you don't get the reach and frequency out there. But ultimately, it's a really big spend that you have to put forward and to create that market. All right. Well, one final question, Sachin. We have a lot of clients that tend to be first-time CEOs or CEOs that are approaching the market for the first time for the reasons that we kind of named. How do we think differently about how we advise these clients? What do we think differently now that we've done this work? What I would do if I was advising them is, is basically make sure that they're spending smart. We talk about spending, and one thing that's not part of his analysis is, and like you had alluded to before, is what are they spending it on, right? So we're not going to be able to get that breakdown. So if they are kind of a little more cost conscious, maybe we start analyzing the activities that are going to have the biggest impact. If they do want to be a little more conservative, then at least we could be smart about where we're spending the money. But ultimately, we will advise them that they still do have to spend in one way or the other. It doesn't have to be as much as maybe they're thinking before, but let's be smart about it if we are going to be conservative. And also get their forecasts right. Sachin Perwar, thanks so much for joining me again on the Cineo South podcast. Very interesting study. Appreciate it, Jeff. Great to be back. That's all for today's episode of the Cineo's Health podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineo's Health Consulting. If you have comments, suggestions, questions, or if you just want to talk to a particular challenge that you have at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at sineoshealth.com. That's S-Y-N-E-O-S health.com. We're consultants. That's what we do.